Hello! In our latest episode, John Deere and I, Dave Thomas, find ourselves in a wild nightclub full of camp robots, stolen intellectual property, gaslighting, and maybe even a slasher movie starring Miranda Hart, as we delve into Romolo Guerrieri's 1968 film El Dolce Corpo di Deborah, aka The Sweet Body of Deborah. Pour yourself a belt of J&B and bust out your crocheted one-piece, and welcome to episode 4 of Due Signori in Giallo. Who is it? An old friend of mine. Strange. He saw me and didn't answer. Maybe he didn't recognize you. Excuse me. In this episode, we discuss elements of gaslighting, gendered violence, and suicide. So, the sweet body of Deborah. Yes. A literal translation to the Italian title. There are, are there any alternatives? Now, that genuinely seems to be, uh, with a few tweaks in translation here and there, that doesn't seem to be too many other variations apparently on a video in west germany it came out as married to kill which seems like a bit of a spoiler but there we are mm. that's interesting so we're getting to a stage where possibly anglophonic audiences are more accepting of the slightly idiosyncratic titles possibly i mean it's a pretty good title yeah i mean given given what happens in the film there's there's a lot more of deborah's <laughs> body than there are say murders well, so why, did, so why was it that this uh, appears on the the canon? Um, there are a couple of reasons, actually. So this is fairly indicative of the Jallo of the late sixties, uh, and there's a reason for that, which I'll touch on in a sec. Um, one of the reasons I really like this one, uh, one I think it's a, a really good movie. Uh, so Carol Baker made several jelly and, and horror films and, and genre films in Italy in the late 60s into the early 70s and the ones that she's probably most celebrated for she did four jelly in relatively quick succession with the director Umberto Lenzi and those are quite well thought of and justifiably because they're pretty good but this one came before those and actually certainly in the first two Lindsay rips this movie off quite shamelessly and I think uh, Romolo Guerrieri who directed this because he's not a very prolific director and he is quite a kind of journeyman director to you know to be fair it's not not to say that he's any great auteur that's that's kind of lost to time Um, but he does I think get a little forgotten Uh, and because this is relatively hard to see I mean it's sort of floating around on YouTube in various um, levels of quality but in terms of having a lavish Blu-ray presentation like many of the other Jelly have and the Lensy ones just got recently from um, I think Severin in the US and have had you know releases over here and so it's not as well known which I think is a shame because I think it's probably comparatively uh, it compares well with the Lensy films and the other reason why I threw it in is because 
this was actually really successful in Italy. So this then fed into a lot of what came out subsequently in around the same time uh, until you, you know, in a couple of years get to Dario Argento who kind of levels up again. Um, but certainly the kind of films that came out in the wake of this follow this structure and this type of film quite closely. Um, and I don't think Paul Guerrieri gets a lot of credit for that, which is a shame. Why then is it, um, if it's successful, uh, if it's influential, mm. why is it largely forgotten? Um, I don't know. I think it's just one of those films that's sort of not really been out in a form where people can kind of revisit it. Um, mm. You know, the first time I saw it was I imported a pretty rubbish DVD version from somewhere in the Nordics, I think, like possibly the Denmark release, um, which is, you know, doesn't look great, but at the time was the only version I could get my hands on. Um, it had a Blu-ray release a few years ago in Germany, and that's as far as I know the only time it's had a like, high-def release, and that was a super limited edition, so I think, you know, it's like, uh, so mine is number 440, uh, doesn't say of how many, but I'm guessing it's probably not more than like a thousand. So um, yeah, I think it's just kind of dropped through the cracks a bit. And I think because the Lindsay Baker ones are celebrated and have been sort of academically dissected a little more, uh, this one kind of gets pushed to the side a bit. So it's a fair bet that a lot of people won't have seen this. Uh, possibly. I'm just thinking, should we be more spoiler sensitive? Should we? Ah, I see. Okay, it's um, a very, yeah, can, it's a very twisty ending, isn't it? It is. Yes. Oh, yeah. We can, we can probably go up to the limit of spoilers without flat out spoiling it. Uh, to be honest, if you've seen other Jally from ah, okay. sixty-eight, sixty-nine, you probably can kind of guess who who the bad guy is pretty early on. Um, it's not who they're trying to make you think is the bad guy. That's always the key. Well. Initially, um, that was that sort of leads into sort of the point I was made because when I saw it initially, I thought it doesn't really have what I expected. A lot of the the, the Jallos too. There's not a huge cast, and because no. of the, the multiple um, locations, um, there's only really a small number of char- a pool of characters from which you can draw who the killer is. Mm-hmm. Um, there isn't a large amount of murders. Nope. And it relies, this one, isn't there? Uh, and it relies on basically a subterfuge and who is saying, who is lying, who is saying what they don't, yes. what, they, what, they, what, what they don't mean. And fundamental to it is, is, the, is, the, is the, the relationship between the, between the newlyweds at the heart of the film. So right. the plot is, and you can correct me if I, I go off, I've only, seen, I've, I've only seen it the once. Mm-hmm. Um, Deborah and Marcel... Uh, are on honeymoon, and Marcel learns that his former fiance, yep, has apparently died by suicide. But he is accosted apparently by an old friend called Philip, who accuses Marcel of Susan's murder. And after that, they start getting um, strange phone calls, and uh, Marcel's new wife Deborah becomes apparently the target of the target of the threats. And it's then trying to work out who's threatening them and why. Is that fair enough? Yeah. Yes. Close enough. I don't know that 
um, Marcel's directly accused of of murder, but it, it's it's certainly the case that him leaving and abandoning his fiancée is why she killed herself. So I think. It's, oh right, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I don't, I don't think yeah. this is a direct um, murder Nuki. accusation, but it's certainly he he's been held responsible by his former friend. Yeah, I mean it's suggested in flashbacks, and again I'll come on to that. That because I'm not I'm not sure the flashbacks really do what they sort of think they do. But anyway, I'll come to that. It's done through flashbacks that he owed her a lot of money yeah, and that he she was a lot more affluent than him. And I think it's fair to say that in his new relationship, Deborah, although we don't know much about her, seems to come from a wealthier family than he does, a similar... So there's this underlying essence of, is he marrying for money? Is he... Is, mm. is he benefiting from the deaths of from the, from the deaths of people which keeps you unsure as to his motives and presumably yes and presumably Deborah who doesn't trust him a lot which mm-hmm. is surprising given the amount of sex they have <laughs> yes well and you know par for the jello at this point really <laughs> yeah but i mean that's 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 why i find it interesting this because it has like it's very colorful like um, as we've i mean we've we've only covered uh, I think before this half of the films were, were black and white mm-hmm. but this is very colourful mm. um, has uh, a very sort of as I've noticed in, in later years has sort of almost a sort of kitsch modernity about mm-hmm. the centre of what it's supposed to do which contrasts with a lot of the sort of classical Baroque designs mm-hmm. of other areas like this is say this is something apart this is this 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 is this is something different but there are no stalking killers there's nothing particularly stabby uh, about it um and indeed the um, the dead lover from the past who may or may not be dead is more uh, again a sort of potentially either either depending on how, how it's done quite noiry or, or gothic we're still in that early sort of period where it's you can still see some of the some of the influences and some of the roots the style i think very much is what you might expect of, of a Jallo, but the content, the content less so. And I found that in, uh, initially trouble, difficult, but once I got past that, I found it. I found it interesting. Right. Yeah. It's one of those. That's actually another reason why I included it was because this, to me, has a lot of the things that a Jallo does and should look like. So you've got the crazy lounge score. You've got the incredibly vibrant kind of pop art backgrounds um which I'll, I'll touch on again uh in a bit but uh, you've got the eye-watering lime green fashions which watching it again f- to talk about it i was trying to work out whether the lime green is th- a signifier of of something and i just couldn't quite unpick it because for the most part it's uh carol baker's character who's in the the horrendous outfits um but there are but they're not meant to be couple... horrendous are they are they, are I, they, are they meant no to... no i don't no. think they are i think it's just you know sort of height of fashion to look yes like very the much so the, the cutting edge that now might not have dated as yeah. well as others and, and i think i think with films like this sometimes you know you might have um you know f- films of a similar era uh, that are more iconic where the fashions appear a little bit more timeless and this they've kind of just pushed slightly beyond that barrier of of timeless taste into oh my god what the hell is that but yeah certainly for the most part it's only deborah that wears green but there is a there is a shot when 
Um, there's a point at which they go to Marcel's, f- or uh, actually no, his his fiance's family's old house, which is now abandoned, and they get a, a strange phone call. And I, I think at that point they call the phone company, and the phone operator also has something incredible, like the same color lime green. So mm. I was trying to work out. You know, it, what what is the significance of the line when he's you know it's sort of red red indicating murder, which is you know sort of Mario Barber's mm. old trick. You know, um, and I couldn't I couldn't quite unpack it like whether there was whether there was a uh, a meaning behind it or if it was just like yeah we got a lot of this material really cheap. The c- crochet jumpsuit is is a is, is a is a thing to behold, and I hope it's astounding, it, isn't it? That if I ever see a quality. Uh, Blu-ray of this that, that I will behold that in all its in in, in, in all its glory. I must say the first things I noticed more than green uh, were product placement. Um, sometimes it's really obvious, sometimes sometimes less so. But it appears that Air France and Rothmans were in on the game. Yes, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, this is our first sighting of uh, J and B whiskey. Ah, uh, you told me about this before, didn't you? Sorry. Yeah, yes, which will become a trend in Jallo quite quickly. Apparently. Uh, J&B had a very active uh, marketing person in Italy in the 60s, so basically every Jello from about now onwards, you will see a fairly prominent bottle of J&B being swigged from by the main characters. I think we should now introduce a, a time stamp into each one we watch now for the first time we see a, bo- a, 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 a bottle of J&B. The J&B spot, yes, that's, an, yeah. that's a good idea. <laughs> so the main actor Carol Baker, um, yes. as I understand it, she's quite well known for Jallos. Is this is this her first? This is her first. Yeah. So she was an American star, um, had been working since the 1950s, I think, um, and had been Oscar nominated for uh, Elia Kazan's Baby Doll, which, as a true Philistine, I have not seen. Though, uh, from my reading around this movie, apparently there are a couple of shots of when she's kind of lying on the bed, unclothed and very coquettishly. Uh, th- that's kind of a lift from a, a, a very kind of iconic shot in in Baby Doll, um, which is iconic enough in this that Umberto Lenzi then rips it off in, in um, his first Jello with her uh, from a couple of years later, or for the next year, actually, uh, Orgasmo in, ni- in 1969. Uh, Orgasmo. Orgasmo, yes. Also known as Paranoia, which is confusing because Umberto Lenzi then made another Jello with Carol Baker called Paranoia, which meant that had to be retitled for territories outside of Italy. It's a whole thing. Um, (laughs) uh, The world of the Jello. So, yeah, she had been successful in the the States. Obviously, um, Baby Doll was was, uh, celebrated, also somewhat notorious, I think, for its at the time provocative sexual content and that was a bit of a theme I think through her career so by the time uh, in the 60s she was in the, the carpet baggers based on the Harold Robbins novel where again and that that was kind of turned her into a sex symbol and then she appeared in a biopic of Jean Harlow uh, in 65 which was a notorious flop and Essentially, she'd—I think she'd been—I think she'd divorced. She was in contract conflict with the studio. 
Um, she'd fallen out with her producer. So effectively, she, I don't think she could work in the States. So she went to Europe. Um, she was so blacklisted she, or...? I don't think she was. I think she was just under contract, and because she was under contract, she couldn't then work for anyone else oh, okay, while right, she was yeah. in contract dispute at Paramount. So, um, in order that she could actually work, and because she was divorced, she was supporting. I think she had a daughter, so I think she was kind of supporting her family independently. Uh, just to actually get some work, she went to Italy, and I think she did one, maybe one movie before this that was a potentially a comedy, like a sort of Italian sexy comedy type thing, and then this. This was her first Jallo, and started a run. In fact, she's yeah you know, of the of the actresses that tend to get picked out as like Jallo queens because they're in a bunch of them. I think she's probably in more than anyone else. So I I can think of ten. The the last one of which from 1974 is a film called The Body, which is I, I've never even seen like a bootleg of that. So I think that one's pretty obscure. The Lindsay films are generally fairly available, and then there are a few others that I've got like rough you know bootlegs of that have, and, and to be honest they're not really particularly interesting um, they're, they're all a little bit generic oh actually I tell a lie I think it's nine because Baba Yaga is a supernatural horror it's not a jello <laughs> okay and she's very I'll good get, isn't I'll, she? I'll get in trouble yeah yes, she's terrific actually yeah. um, and this is one of those frustrating cases where the only decent copy I have is the Italian language track with subtitles because on the English track, she does her own looping, as we talked about previously. Ah, okay, yeah. So, and I have a really, like the, the copy I have from possibly Denmark is the English language track, but it's so rough, there's just no, there's no point sharing that. Um, so, yeah, it's a shame that, that some of that's lost. But uh, the, the, the flip side of that is whoever is dubbing uh, Jean Sorel has the most ridiculous cod French accent that I think they kind of cancel each other out. Um, so it's probably so maybe it's maybe it's as well that we we had only the Italian track. Jean Sorel I saw described once um, as uh, a poor man's Alan Denion, uh, which I thought was a little harsh. That's hu- yeah, that's that's cruel. Yeah, I mean, okay, I can see it, but he's I mean he's in some great jelly. In fairness, right? Okay, there's, yes. there's at least. I mean, he's in a, he's in one of the the Lindsay ones, and he's in a few others. He's in uh, another one from around this time, um, Lucio Fulci's Perversion Story, uh, and he's fantastic in that. And I definitely have another one coming up with him in, which is uh, Short Night of Glass Dolls, which he, which he's just hands down a superb film. So. Um, yeah, that's cruel. I, I, I feel I, I feel I must defend the honour of poor Jean Sorel from uh, from that because the, and the, and they're actually very charismatic together. It's interesting that they then um, Carol Baker and he are in. Um, I think it's the second Lindsay Jello called Paranoia, which is also known as A Quiet Place to Kill. There are a few. Um, there are at least a couple of Jello films that are a something place to kill. So. <laughs> So it can get confusing. It gets like this also with um, the um, uh, the Brian Clemens IT, ITC um, anthology series thriller, when it's you know, <laughs> when it, they ha- they have lots of very Jalo esque titles, but then when they sell them to the mm. US, they make lurid um, t- 
title sequences and often change the title with that with that as well mm. and then it gets very confusing but anyway that's a, that's another one i liked his i liked his character because he's he's quite mysterious and smoldering and you, you never quite know his mm. uh, you, you, quite his motives which is clearly what the what, what the role means but yes as you say the uh, the dubbing of his accent somewhat undercuts the uh, the, the tension mm. about this sort of aura of mystery that, uh, that, that that he has when he sounds you know a, a bit like he's in a lower low only speaking italian which is then sometimes yes yeah and it's uh, which but yeah it, and it that's kind of fault and you have you that you have to let that go yeah and you kind of that that's generally how he's used certainly in in jelly i don't know about his kind of wider career but he's he's very you know he's very good looking so he gets away with a lot and then that's how he's used quite often you know he's i've never seen him play even when he's not a villain uh no spoilers um he's not the he's never an out and out hero there is always some aspect of him of his character that is duplicitous or underhand in some way or or an, an unpleasant character trait but he kind of gets away with it because he's very dishy i'm wondering i mean if that was sort of you know a vaguely if the, depending on what the what the Italians think of the think of the French, that was sort of a, you know, a vaguely xenophobic trope of well he's French he's untrustworthy but women <laughs> like him so he gets away with it. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that, and, and but then something about this film that is true of many I might even say all Jala all's probably pushing it but certainly many many of them is there aren't really that many characters in this that are sympathetic everyone apart from carol i would say carol seems to be mostly um guileless and yeah she, she appears a bit too innocent uh, yeah at times yeah but again spoilers. Um, but but then everyone else is, is appears to be playing some kind of angle and all of the men in the movie are evidently wrongans <laughs> <laughs> but there aren't that many people in it so you've no, got to, you, this is you, true. you can't play um too much of a hand you've got everyone's got to be mm. slightly mysterious otherwise you just go well it's not you is it yeah uh, and there there isn't much to go on which i think in some ways uh, counts against it but there but i liked it more than i thought i would when i was about halfway through it and I right. was initially thinking there aren't, there just aren't enough people uh, in this to make it, um, to make to make it wider. But they make effective use of of location, and as I said before, so much of the of the of the of, of the plot revolves around what you think's going on unspoken between between the couple and who's and who's and who's deceiving who, and that that becomes really really interesting, and not mm. something I was necessarily expecting expecting for a Jello. Probably should we say a word on uh, the character of uh, Robert, uh, the neighbour? Um, I was going to say because because if you're about halfway into it, that's when George Hilton turns up. Yeah, and I, I like it. Any time you're watching Jello and George Hilton turns up, it just makes me happy. Ah, what's is this? I mean, he turns up as the neighbour who he's self-described as a voyeur. Well, just it's nice of him yeah. to be honest. Nice of him to be honest. Um, is is that a typical role he plays in Jelly? It's not. Atypical. I mean, again, he's one of the guys that turns up and is sort of instant wrongen. Um, so he and, and we'll see him again in um, all the colours of the dark, where he is the, I guess, the closest thing the movie has to a a, a hero uh, in terms of the male lead. But he's not a very nice guy in that. And um, so again, you know, that's and in his other 
um, Jallo appearances probably not dissimilar because he's just again he's got that sort of slight edge of where he's very good looking but he can kind of play that quite um, in, in a way that you know you don't really necessarily think his motivations are pure even when he's just being sort of terribly handsome and seducing the uh, the leading lady again despite his name he's um, he's South American isn't he yes he's Uruguayan yeah. Uruguayan uh, right so uh, he's playing somewhere that you would describe as in slightly problematic xenophobic terms as swarthy. <laughs> yeah, very much so. I mean, he had, prior to becoming a bit of a uh, a Jallo star, he was in a lot of spaghetti westerns because he kind of has that look of, you know, with, throw some stubble on him and a hat uh, and stick him on a horse. And he just has that very, you know, spaghetti western milieu kind of written all over him. Um, and he, he'd been in at least one of the... Django films that's not actually a Django film, but um, but yeah, he's I I I like him. Oh, there's a lot. supernatural see... elements to it. <laughs> <laughs> but when, whenever I see him in 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 one of these, I'm always I always think, oh, okay, good time, good time coming up. Yes, and he his his uh, role does sort of inject a different a different pace to it as to it as well. Um, but I suppose uh, when you're talking about what essentially becomes more of a character piece, as I've, uh, as, 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 as I've said before, both the designs, the location work, uh, become uh, something, that's, something that's, that's very interesting for the, for, for the, for the mood. Now, mm. we, talk, we talked initially about you know, how the, the, sort of, the, sort of ki- the sort of kitsch modernity um, mm. is, a, is, a, can be, is a focus throughout, th- throughout, throughout Shadow. But the club sequences, the nightclub sequences... Um, yeah, that the design—they're really, really going to town on there, aren't they? Yes, I mean, I think I think that's actually a bit of a direct steal. Ah, so when we, when we were chatting last time, we talked about uh, blow up uh, and whether right. or, whether it is or is not a jello. And I mentioned a movie called Deadly Sweet that came out in the wake of Blow Up, which is a uh, Tinto Brass film before he just went and did sort of 70s European soft porn for the rest of his life um, so I, I've seen I've seen Deadly Sweet described as blow up but cheaper which again it, that's a little unfair it is it is set in London it is sort of ostensibly you know in, in the swinging 60s it directly references blow up a couple of times I think they at one point they wow. even run past a cinema that's playing blow up <laughs> and um, the, the main character played by um, Jean-Louis Trintignant He's he's prone to quoting philosophers and artists and things, and at one point I think he does actually quote Antonioni. So it's wow. it's quite knowing in its nods to um, to to blow up, but it's definitely much more of a conventional Jallo plot. Right. Um, and one of the things that's that's interesting in that film, I mean, a lot of it does actually take place in nightclubs and happenings and things like that. Mm. Um, but one of the things that Brass did is he got uh, Guido Crepax, I think is how you pronounce it, who's the the French erotic cartoonist, um, to do a lot of do a lot of pop art design on the on people's walls so on the walls of people's apartments and in clubs and everything you get these you know very um warhol-esque you know pictures of you know literally batman and um movie stars of the day so i'm i think that that 
uh, nightclub sequence where you again you've got you know comic book characters and very specifically there's one shot of like Batman and it's like yeah, yeah. you didn't clear that with anybody yes um, I, I mean the, the, I, I don't know what the, obviously it won't have been a copyrighted piece of art but to what yeah. extent I identify that as Batman and you then have to go to DC or whoever owns the rights to, to whether Bob Kane's yeah. there, um, because you've you've drawn a square jawed man in a half mask with pointy ears um, I, I, I don't know what the... What I'm going to assume would. that the the uh, intellectual property lawyers were a little less fierce in 1968 than they are now. <laughs> this was re- this was released in the US, wasn't it? Uh, yes, yes yeah. it was. Okay, so yeah. whether they yeah, to, to see it or not as well. well. Oh, and also watching this, there's like, um, they're not drawings, I assume they're just sort of vacuum-formed pretend pretend statues that mm. frankly look, lo- look like... Um, Camp Cybermen and Cybermen can look very camp anyway. Um, <laughs> yes. I, again, this is the the, uh, the mid six, the mid to late sixties. So mm-hmm. this is sort of the high point. Again, Cybermen were in Patrick Troughton's time as time as Doctor Who. So although I, although there's no reason to bet they were deliberately nicking, I wonder if it's just sort of informed of the style of the era that that. that well, that I mean, up. I this is something I I really have no knowledge of. What was Doctor Who screened in Italy at that time? Not in '68, no. Right, but then you know, for you know, the designers and people who worked on uh, people who worked at Bohm's, how aware they were of fashions that were that were that, that mm. were desi- designed in international science fiction or telly or popular culture. And yeah, yeah. whether whether in '68 London was generally looked as a creative art house for um, for for such things, and part of that was you know. Um, Bobby Leach's designs for 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 for, for Cybermen and those yeah. Sort of things. I, yeah, so maybe. And I guess there's somewhere between that and a like a generic sci-fi robot. So maybe it's just happenstance. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I could, I, 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 yeah. I'd be. I'd love to know mm. if R- Romolo Guerrieri was secretly a massive Doctor Who fan. I doubt it, but as you say, there's, there's, there's you know, they they like with when people say, well, why if Ape, if humans are descended from apes, why are they still apes? Because mm. they're not descended from apes; they just have a common ancestry. Um, exactly. And yeah, whether whether the designs of things like Cybermen and the designs of the the things that the people were inspired by in this in this nightclub are from a common ancestry, they they are they are from they're they're, they're from a similar pool of of, of 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 ideas and vision, rather than. But how? But having having said to completely undercut that, that's Batman drawn on the wall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, not subtle. No. So who also, knows? also not subtle in this sequence is the fact that Carol Baker appears to be wearing several Christmas tree ornaments um, as earrings. Yes, actually, her earrings are—they'd be painful, wouldn't they? Imagining, imagining <laughs> the weight of those around you. I mean, I don't know. I'm guessing that, like a Christmas bauble, they're just kind of thin plastic or something. But yeah, they are oh, gigantic. Well. They, they are. I still can't get over the the, the, the crochet jumpsuit, and <laughs> well, one of it, and when they're playing Twister, musical Twister. Yep. That so far is. I mean, for all the for all the the problematic, all for all the engendered violence and you know, and sexualized killing, the thing that stayed with me most to go, oh really, is <laughs> them playing musical Twister in the garden. Yeah, um, I think that's the only example, certainly in in Jally, and I pretty sure in all of cinema that there's a <laughs> there's a sort of south american carnival themed musical game of twister 
and she's dancing all the way through it. So she's, yeah. even when she's yeah, they both are. Well, it's, yeah, well, I mean, to be, he's 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 not joining in as quite as enthusiastically. As, yeah, as Jean, Jean Sorel is giving the air of someone who is slightly long suffering. <laughs> but the, I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah I. You're, we also we're in public. Can we not? Like, I, I don't, yeah, yeah I, I don't want to do this, but I also really want to have sex with you, we've, which we've is. Got a, and presumably yeah. that was then overseen by the you know creepy voyeuristic neighbour because I I think that sequence is like the first time they meet him as well, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it is. I mean, if and if and if if there's if you're watching and you're thinking I've got this guy, yeah, um, that it's then you've been caught unconvincingly dancing while playing Twister. And I mean, yeah. in terms of ways in which the main character is emasculated by his sexual competition, it's pretty spectacular. It's not often I watch a scene with a voyeur in it and think if I was anyone in that scene, I'd prefer to be the voyeur. <laughs> Indeed. I'd rather that than be caught slightly awkwardly dancing <laughs> I, to I Rio Carnival music while playing Twister. I mean, it's not good for anyone, really, is it? I mean, even <laughs> if you're just watching, you're always going to, all of you are going to know that you did that and it was observed and if you're the observer you're always going to know that you saw that as much as you will try and unsee it and then but as always if you're if you're the observer and you see that you are absolutely trying to steal his girl because look at you (laughs) yeah my job here is done (laughs) deborah of course is entirely oblivious and just uh, she apparently likes musical twister because she's so into it it's the Rio Carnival soundtrack as as, 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 as as well. I'm not quite sure what I would want to accompany my my musical twister, but the, the bombast is superbly. <laughs> and it's so loud chosen. on the soundtrack yes. as well. <laughs> what, what what function does it play in, 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 the, in, in, in the plot? At least, you know, the, the sexualized violence and the stabbing stuff as well have functioned within the plot. They just problematically realized. Um, this doesn't advance anything other than to introduce uh, to introduce rubber, and yeah, maybe I, they thought it was going to catch on. Maybe it was product placement. I mean, it could have been. It, it didn't have the shelf life of J and B or Rothmans, but someone gave them a ton of money and they're like, guys, M- this is going to be the big thing. MB Games were opening in in Italy and were like, get in on the yeah. This is yeah, a sexy young couple just just got married. What do they do when they get back from honeymoon? Hey guys, how about Twister? <laughs> yeah, well, they, I guess they, at that point they probably need to take occasional breaks from having sex in the shower because I mean that, that's something else that's interesting about this movie because Carol Baker obviously would had been a big you know a a, a noteworthy star in america and at this point was i guess i think she's like 40 when she made this so it's quite it's quite shocking that she does um a fair amount of nudity which at the you know even for the time in an italian film um is is still relatively explicit it's not as explicit as a couple of the films she did subsequently but for someone of her kind of stature it's quite surprising being british the initial um sex scene in the shower i was just stressed that jean sorel hadn't got all the um the shampoo out of his hair when they when they start <laughs> they start doing it i was like no that would that would bother me uh, it's, it's, it's like, really unsettling isn't it 
It is, yeah, because it's still coming down his face, but it might sting my eye a bit. Can you yeah. just give me, a, just let me wash this out? It's, I've got Vosine everywhere. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, it's just gonna, it's just, it's just, it's just gonna get annoying. And that's why when I, when I when I I, I realised that I'm, I'll always be Robert, not the guy playing Twister. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that guy as well. Um, who's the actor that plays uh, Susan? We only ever because Susan's apparently. Dead before the film starts. Yes, well. that um, is we... uh, Eve, Evelyn Stewart, who, uh, despite again the the um, anglicised name, is I believe a Spanish actress. Um, she was her, she's sometimes credited as Evelyn Stewart, sometimes as Ida Galli, which was her. Um, actually, no, she's not Spanish. She's Italian. I apologise, internet. Uh, but yeah, she's she's credited both ways, um, and she popped up oh. in a few um, jally here and there as well. So we have, sorry, just to check, we have George Hilton and Evelyn Stewart, both with their anglophonic names. And in the case Mm -hmm. of Evelyn Stewart, she's Italian. Yes. In an Italian film, but using, so when this was released in Italy, she was credited as Evelyn Stewart? I believe so. Yeah, Mm. she, I mean, generally, I think that's how she tended to be credited. I'm not entirely sure... Um, why she went? Why she went with that particularly? But yeah, I have seen her credited as Ida Galli as well. Um, and, and there's another um, notable Jello star who, again, we'll see in All the Colors of the Dark, who is the Spanish actress Nieves Navarro, who is generally credited as Susan Scott. So um, there's, there's there's something to that. Um, th- th- there was always this story that uh, Italian horror films or Italian genre films would would have the Italian director's name uh, anglicised into something English or American sounding. Um, Not so much for the foreign market, but because Italians like those better um, and thought that that was a sign of quality if it was by, you know, sort of Terence Fisher rather than Mario Bava. Um, Now, I don't know how... I, I think that's been slightly debunked, but certainly, you know, you do see, you know, you'll see a whole list of Italian credits of the of the crew of a film and then the director's name even though the director is italian uh, is has been you know is english is in english it's actually quite difficult to talk in any depth about this film without being doing spoilers i've just realized because often what you think about the plot can be defined by what you think about the ending and the phrase right. for me was halfway through I, I really wasn't sure two-thirds of the way through I liked it more than I thought I did, but still wasn't be good. And then the ending, I really, really liked, and was like, "Oh, that was good as well." And it went massively up in my estimation, based right. on that was that was I, I like the twist, um, which is still intelligent because without so many people, you know, there's, there's only so many there's only so many ways the ways it can go. And I thought that mm. one worked really well, but it's hard to talk about that and then say, "But I can't tell you what it is because it'll be a film for you." <laughs> If you, have, if you have, there's literally no point in watching the film if you if you yeah. if you know the ending. Uh, so the production designer on this was um, Amadeo Fargo or Fago. I apologise for my pronunciation. And this appears to have been his first production design credit. Really? Wow. Yeah. Uh, and it looks like he did a fair bit after that. Um, glancing down the titles, I'm not that familiar with many of them. Um, mean Frank and Crazy Tony. I have a rough bootleg of somewhere because that's like an Italian crime film something called In the Name of the Father but not that one (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it looks like he had a a, a 
uh, you know, a pretty a pretty solid career. Um, but yeah, doesn't look like it was on anything massive. Uh, I'm guessing a lot of these titles that weren't translated from Italian are probably comedy, uh, which I think would probably okay. suit his his style quite well. Because yeah, I mean, if you look down the uh, the credits of a lot of Italian filmmakers, you know, if you see stuff that's not been translated to English, it tends to be. Uh, and not not exclusively, of course, but it tends to be sexy comedies because they don't really travel very well. Um, I've seen a few of them, and they are uh, very much an acquired taste that I haven't quite managed to acquire. <laughs> Is sexy comedy something we in Britain would associate, say, as a Robin Asquith type style 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 film? It's um, kind. I guess kind of. They're more like. It's like a 90-minute Benny Hill sketch where you actually see the boobs is kind of how I would define the ones I've seen. And that's probably a horrible generalisation. But, I mean, primarily, the, the ones that I've I've seen, because the ones that have, have been available in, in some kind of format that I could actually get hold of, uh, are the ones with Edwidge Fennec in. Because um, in Italy, and we, you know, we'll talk about this more when we get to the episode, but um, she's much more known in Italy for comedy than she is for Jallo. Um, and most of the plots of the films that she's in seem to resolve around um, middle-aged Italian comedians playing college kids trying to see her in the shower. Oh. Yep. Mm. So Bernard Manning at school. That's not a bad... Yeah, that's, that's a not a bad thing, is that? S- summation, actually. <laughs> oh shit! I'm never gonna watch. I'm never gonna watch that. Actually, <laughs> the one, the thing that actually now I struggle back about why this I struggled with this initially as a, a as as a genre. Hmm. It isn't just um, the lack of stabbiness. It's the fact the plot is actually cohere both coherent and multi-layered. I mean, and I was, we're a couple of years out from the from the vast amounts of stabbing. I mean that, right, although okay, we saw it, yeah. it in Blood, Blood and Black Lace. Black Lace particularly, but that's really a holdover from what Argento does by the time right, we get okay. to Bird with Crystal Plumage, which is our next episode, so we're not far away. But at this point, it's much more around these slightly labyrinthine plots and, and very much focused on female characters and gaslighting. I mean, basically, yeah, okay, th- right. th- there's, a, there's a lot of um, elements here that have really come out of um, Les Diaboliques. Uh, Les Diaboliques. I'm going to pronounce that both ways and edit the right one out. Uh, <laughs> the one in the school with the bath scene. Exactly. And... And, and again, that's an interesting touch point because obviously that influenced a, a ton of film filmmakers around the world. I mean, you know, Hammer had a whole separate line from their horror films mm. of Jimmy Sang's depend mini Hitchcocks that were actually all ripped off from Cluzo. Yeah, okay. It, not not to disparage them at all because I I love all of those films, especially. Um, Taste of Fear, I think, is phenomenal. Yes, um, Taste of Fear is a brilliant, brilliant film. And that whole aspect of um, someone being made to think that they are mentally ill and not seeing the thing which they are clearly seeing um, for financial gain of somebody else um, runs all the way through this period of Jello and actually after Bird with Crystal Plumage as well. Because uh, what, So one of the writers on this, uh, along with our mate Ernesto Gastaldi, I told you he would turn up in 
pretty much every conversation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, who is the key writer. But the other writer is um, Luciano Martino. So he subsequently produced and co-wrote a whole bunch of movies, but in the Jallo space particularly with his brother Sergio Martino. So he produced All the Colours of the Dark, um, Strange Vices of Mrs. Ward, your voice is a lot room and only I have the key and all of those also star what Eddie. was the title of that last one your voice is a locked room and only I have the key it's a fantastic film um, uh, and all of those also feature uh, Edwidge Fennec who is his girlfriend and later wife so you know, ah, okay. it's, it's a very very incestuous filmmaking community I would say and that's actually something I wanted to touch on because I was I was looking at um, Romolo Guerrieri's uh, CV because he didn't make a huge amount of films as a director he made, he made a, a, a handful well more than a handful probably um, but not that many and not that many that are well remembered I would say this is probably his most well known film now, he only made one other Jallo which is a film from 1971 called The Double um, which is not bad it's a little generic and coming post Bird with Crystal Plumage feels a little more dated because it is in a similar vein to Sweet Body of Deborah. Um, and interestingly there is, uh, so it stars uh, Jean Sorel again, so they clearly got along, um, and there's an older female character in the story who is played by uh, Lucia Bose. Um, but So I do kind of wonder though if he'd actually had that in mind for Carol Baker and she wasn't available or she didn't want to do it or whatever and so he went with a different actress but he came from a filmmaking family and his brother was also a director and his brother was much more prolific Mario Girolami who did sort of crime films and you know like special cop in action and violent Rome and you know these kind of great Poliziotesis um, and zombie holocaust which is not great um, and then you shock he- me <laughs> and then he uh, Mar- Marino's son, so Romolo's nephew, uh, is Enzo G. Castellari, who in the eighties trashy Italian genre films like the the you know the Bronx Warriors and sort of Mad Max knockoffs and the Last Shark, which was actually the only Jaws ripoff that got sued out of existence by Universal. And and the reason I wanted to touch on that is I was thinking about all the conversations we've had, and I think in every case thus far we've been they came from a filmmaking family. Um, you know, there was some background where, you know, their parents had been filmmakers, you know, their siblings had been filmmakers. It's slightly fascinating that within the Italian film industry, at least in the kind of films we're talking about, that it seems to be a case of family connections get you a directing job. And actually, that's probably true in our next episode as well. So, uh, yeah, it, it's notable that directors don't just kind of turn up. Uh, or come out of an uh, education system, but it's very... There seems to be quite a bit of nepotism happening. Is that partly because there needs to be a certain sort of uh, skill set to direct, to direct these films, or a certain way of thinking that this worked, so you have to do it this sort of way? Possibly. I do wonder, because I, I suppose these days there's a tendency to think of, you know... The, Shortly after this in the States, you start to get, you know, the Young Turks from from film school and USC and, and 
um, coming out you know, from nowhere with these extraordinary films and having remarkable subsequent careers. But I guess, like as you say, at this point, what do you want? Well, you want a safe pair of hands. And if you can't get someone who's done it before, maybe you get someone who's was an assistant director because yeah, their dad indeed, was a director yeah. and, and all of that. But it, it, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know that it necessarily has any effect on the, the narratives or the films themselves or the subjects. Um, but I, yeah, I just thought it was worth noting. I think it's interesting that, that where we are at this moment of the, of the film, the focus is still on the gaslighting issue rather than the, the mortal danger, uh, and therefore is more narrowly focused on a victim rather than who's the killer. It's 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 victim led. Yeah. Because by very nature there's only there's only one victim here. Yeah, absolutely. And that that theme does kind of cross over into some of the later ones as well. Although as we go on it becomes inevitable that there's also a body count going on around them. But yeah, as you say, um the, the focus really is is Deborah and because initially it kind of seems like more well, maybe you know Marcel is the target of whatever's happening but it mm. quickly becomes mm. apparent that it's not it's you know um, and the assumption is that Deborah is being targeted to get to Marcel and it's you know um, very much assumed that this is some form of vengeance for what happened to his former fiance, um, and it doesn't hurt that you've got someone like uh, Luigi Pistilli who is another uh, face who will turn up many times in our Jallo conversations um, because he he's got a great face for this kind of thing because you know he turns up and you think ah bad guy um, and sometimes you're right and sometimes you're not so you know he's um, I, I think as I said in a previous episode um, in the iguana with the tongue of fire he is the Irish cop <laughs> uh, but yeah he's definitely got an interesting uh, uh, kind of presence in this and he you know he just has that wonderful kind of hangdog face that you never quite know I mean you just assume is bad but um you 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 never you're never quite sure was there a feeling of sort of deliberately casting against type for some of these roles to sort of play with expectations um that's a good question i don't know if there was in hindsight because going forward that's very much the norm i i think um you know, you will get these actors that show up time and time again, and certainly in you know, the the movies that I, you know, tend to think of as the best of of the Jelly. Um, so you'll get, you know, um, you'll get George Hilton, you'll get Ivan Rasimov, um, you, you'll get Luigi Pistilli, who all have a, a look that is kind of, I think, very much designed to keep you off kilter. Mm. Um, and I think I'm also, I'm also thinking about like Edward Finnick, like. Being a comedy actor, rather, and then being seen in the in the middle of a in the in the middle of a jalo, if that mm. makes if that makes for interesting, if you know if someone like right. Miranda, Miranda Hart stars in a, stars in a in a slasher film, that comes with a level of expectation that might be undercut, which might you would, know, work on or, or not. But I would you know, watch that. Yes, I'm sure you. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you would. And to me, Edward <laughs> Finnegan is 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 the star of um, All the Colors of the Dark. But mm. if she was known in context okay. of when the film was released as a comedian, was that done to both capitalise on her doing something different and to play with audience expectations about Ooh, that's the sort a of thing she be doing? Yeah. I don't know really. I mean, because she certainly had been in comedies prior to that. She, I mean, the, her most successful comedy stuff was later. Would sort of 
that's oh, okay, actually right. kind of the reason she ended up stopping doing Jello, I think, because ah, okay, um, so because she became much more known as um, the lady in the shower being spied on by Alvaro Vitali. Um, uh, and she preferred that to Jello. Oh dear. <laughs> well, it was probably less psychologically demanding in her performances, do you want, do you less want crying. Be, do you want? Do you want to be stabbed, or do you just want to be looked at? This is yeah. the this is the binary choice of, of well. Of, of Italian, of, actresses in Italian cinema I, I, and I think you know the nature of the the films at the time it's like look you're gonna be in a, in the shower either way so <laughs> you can you know you, you, it can be sort of knockabout frolics or there's also stabbing and screaming and running so yeah, yeah you take your pick and I, I, I mean I, I think the thing is in Italy the, the comedies were just more successful so mm. you know we we in in the wider world where we, these films have you know this cult following think of her much more of as um, as a giallo actress um, and you know that's kind of a, kind of a perception of you know to me I think of Carol Baker and I think of oh well she's in all those you know great jelly um and and not all of you know the, her oscar nominated performances and her westerns and and um, kindergarten cop uh, well i mean that's just a classic now no matter which way <laughs> i think that's the only thing i'd ever seen her in before i really before i watched this film <laughs> you should watch baba yaga i think you'd like that okay it's about I witches oh yes actually i should do yeah oh there's there's witches in this, John. You you're like that. <laughs> yeah, it's also very good. It's worth mentioning because we mentioned uh, or I mentioned Guido Crepax, the um, comic artist whose work was filtered through a couple of other films into this one. Um, was the creator of Baba Yaga, so you know. Okay. Again, it's all connected. If I don't mention that, someone will comment. You have gone to the. It, it is it is quite an insular industry, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. But I think, like as as with Hammer, say, would use you know people they knew could do the job when time yep. and money were at a premium. Mm. So this wasn't the place to learn your craft, at least not as a director. You either work your way up, or we've used you before and know and 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 and, and know you can do it. And that's presumably the overriding, fairly mm. self-selecting um, criterion. Yeah, very probably. But yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised. This subverted my expectations as to what a Jalo film might be, and, ultima- and ultimately for the better. Uh, yeah, yeah, I th- I think it would be interesting to see as we go. Um, and unfortunately, I feel like I've um, used up quite a lot of my uh, notes from a couple of films we got coming up, <laughs> talking about <laughs> them in advance. But that's fine. I'll just say it all again. Um, it would be interesting to see how you find elements of this playing into some of the later films right. where like post uh, Argento when it does become much more about the um, the graphics you know and the stalk and slash and all of that but elements of this film and films like this from around the same time still persist so I guess you, some you'll get these kind of hybrids between the two things, mm. um, which is very much some of the, um, the the Fennec films that Sergio and Luciano Martino did. Not so much all the Colors of the Dark because I think that's a slightly well, actually it has elements of that, but um, but certainly something like Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, um, which will do somewhere down the line if you're still talking to me at that point um, and I think it's it's this is proving to be somewhat of a 
a more uh, a more diverse experience in terms of styles than I might have vision than I might have initially expected, and that's a good thing. Yeah, well, I hope so. I mean, I I don't think I picked anything that was deliberately bad. Okay, maybe one. Um, sort of sort of much later, I think I uh, I think I may have thrown something in towards the end from like 1989 where it's like this is where it's all gone horribly wrong um that in itself is probably interesting and then we can reset and go back to the beginning and do some good ones again so i'm i'm pleased that uh, that you like that one because as i said that's that's definitely one of my um my favorites even though i i would not say this is the best one that you will ever see um i i don't think that it uh it quite gets its due so if we've no, addressed yeah. that in some small way to the our audience of four or five people then i will be happy yeah i, I think that's I, I i think that's a fair one that was this was a good one for opening my uh uh my eyes to the to what are the wider possibilities of 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 of, of what it, of what a jello can be and i'm sorry to hear it's it's not uh, if not not well regarded, then uh, not well remembered simply because of its yeah. It's not uh, really regarded at all. It's the, yeah. it's the sad fact. I'm assuming at some point one of the cult labels like Arrow is sitting on this, waiting for the right moment to put it out, or probably 88 Films because they've done all the lensy ones. But it would be really nice if it got like a proper release and uh, a few more people um, can experience the joy that is Rio Carnival Musical Twister. Oh God, yeah, that would be. There could be parties just, 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 just for that, couldn't there? They could bring it back. They could bring it. Well, you could, you could, you could, watch, you could watch it and then play along <laughs> and with the Rio, Carn- Rio Carnival Twister, and you could cosplay with your crochet cat suit. Christ. <laughs> Let's leave it there. And as the game of musical Twister ends, then we look ahead to our next episode, which is. The brutal shot or stab in the arm that is Dario Argento's groundbreaking 1970 Jello, The Bird with Crystal Plumage, which is in some ways where we begin again. We move from the world of musical twister to the world of high art. I think there's a there's a hymen of respectability that has been punctured, and we are now <laughs> entering into a, to a classier world. Well, that's for next time. (laughs) For more on Jelly, check out the links in our show notes. Next time, dead girls, straight razor-wielding maniacs and a poorly maintained sliding door combine to announce the arrival of probably the Jello's most famous exponent as we tackle Dario Argento's The Bird with Crystal Plumage. Thanks for listening and goodbye.